welcome to the 29th Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, which I had to think for a while about which number it was, and it's definitely the 29th Shut Up and Sit Down podcast about board games and card games and tabletop games and any games that you can play in your house or not in your house or in a space that is appropriate for the kind of game that you're playing. We'll cover anything. We don't care. We have no standards. (laughs) I don't. Quentin Smith, do you have any standards? Uh, no, just that the people I play these games with are consenting adults and not children or animals. Who am I talking to? You must be Paul Dean, the person I work with. Paul Dean, the child and animal that you work with. (laughs) Um, Yes. Yeah, from from the North American office. Who who are you? I've introduced you. Don't say anything. Okay, what were you going to (laughs) say? I was going to say, it's been a good week for us, man. I was at the uh, UK Board Game Expo this weekend, which is yeah. growing and growing. It's growing. It's out of control. It's in, uh, it takes place in a Hilton, but the, and like it, it takes over the Hilton, and but that doesn't sound very impressive. So what you need to know is that it's like kind of the mother of all Hiltons. There are no less than three receptions, reception A, B, and C. Um, there's a swimming pool, which is like next to the breakfast area, separated by a glass wall, so you can watch people basically naked while you're eating breakfast. It's very sort of bacchanalian. Um, but this is a big a big leap uh, because it used to be in when we went three years ago it was in a Masonic lodge um, yeah and that 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 is not a joke and but even now next year it's growing so much they're renting out the proper Birmingham exhibition center next to the Hilton um, so yeah I was I was hugely impressed that the UK has now like got a proper con for uh, for me to get excited about you know fantasy flight right. was there there was all kinds of uh, hot new games. Did a little roundup on the site on Monday, and uh, yeah, some really impressive stuff. And the thing is, it was kind of modest in size before because we don't have as big a scene in Britain, do we, as, as like the US or a lot of Europe? But it looks, from what you said, like it has really stepped up now. Yeah, it has. Um, I think we we are slowly catching up to the rest of the world. It's a funny thing because the UK, I think, has more podcasters than oh, really? like just about yeah well you know in terms of like uh sites and well maybe not maybe not per capita i'm gonna say that we punch above our weight but in terms of designers and conventions and how many other things we buy we're yeah. still very kind of english and wary and we don't make friends and we're going to be wry and not very um emotionally honest uh however i think we are getting through that and um the expo was great i saw a guy who may or may not have been um I had a weird moment with a cosplayer whereby I saw I saw someone who may have been cosplaying as someone who might have been Doctor Who, and I you know how cosplayers will kind of like uh, have a bit of like interaction with um with members of the you know con, con attendees yes you know they'll be kind of in character yeah so I sort of looked at him and he gave me like a cheeky wink and I smiled and and sort of looked him up and down <laughs> it's like either he is in cosplay and this is all as it should be. Or he's not in cosplay, and I'm just having a quasi-sexual encounter with a stranger. Hard to tell. Um, what else did cons. I see? Oh, I, the fun I played. Cons. I played uh, Vlada Vatil's new party game. Right, and this looks like it was one of your favourite games of the con. It, it was. There were two. One game I bought and played, which I will talk about in a bit. Um, and this, this is called Code Names, and yeah, the simplest thing in the world. You know, twenty-five words on a grid. Um, for people who missed the roundup on, on Monday, basically, there's a red team and a blue team. It's a team party game. And uh, you're going to have a team captain. And the team captains um, look at this uh, grid, almost like a little overlay that they, they place on in their heads, on a little stand. So they know which of this 5x5 five five grid of words are red, which, which words are blue, representing their secret agent, which ones are neutral white civilians, and which is the black assassin word. 
Um, you don't want to pick the assassin word, Paul. Um, yeah, because that knocks you out of the game right away, right? Yeah, instantly. It just ends the game. And actually, hearing about... Well, I'll uh, I'll get back to the rules explanation and then jump okay. back, um, sort of a quantum leap style to my past point. Uh, so the, all the team captains do, the whole game, is they'll look at the grid and say, like, um, uh, Ireland 3. And then the team will, like, discuss this, you know, in kind of, like, Mysterium. Um, or Dixit as to what the hell they think is going on and then maybe they point to sausage because Irish breakfast <laughs> have sausages and the team captain then covers that with the colour that it is so if they're correct and it's like a blue word the team captain will put a blue thing on it and then they can keep going so it's kind of like Minesweeper you know the team captains are trying to guide them towards the, you say one word and one number you say a word that relates to the words of your team's colour and then a number indicating how many there are and the story that was circulating around the con, and I did meet the lovely gentleman who uh, made this mistake, um, so apologies if I embarrass you, but I won't say your name. Um, so he <laughs> sat down to play this prototype, and uh, his friends, you know, were looking at him, you know, because they, they put him, they made him the team captain because he's the smartest guy there. And uh, he studied the 25 words, and then very grandly said, Westeros 4. I was like, four? Shit, that's really good, Paul. That's like, you know, four words that relate to Westeros. Their friends yeah. discussed this. And immediately the first word they point to is dragon. And this guy, because you can't speak, doesn't say anything, but then immediately covers the word dragon with the other team's color, which ends your guessing, and then it passes over to the other team, so you just gave them a point, essentially. And the friends were just flipping their shit over, like, how could dragon not be related to Westeros? And the answer, which they found out at the end of the game, because like Mysterium, you can't discuss this is uh, he just didn't see the word dragon and his Westerosian words were like hand, country, war, you know, these things. Oh, wow. But, uh, definitely but not it's, dragon. So it's all about the vagueness of the words, potentially, and, and that that sort of falling between two stools that you can do when you, you know, you're just on the edge of the category or something. Yeah, exactly. It's, a, it's like, a, what was that game we played uh, where you have to um, express a, a word or a phrase by only pointing to symbols on the board? Concept. Oh, that was concept. It. Yeah, which is fantastic, actually. Ridiculous. Yeah, it's lovely. A very similar thing of just sort of having to express something, you know, in a very difficult way and not being able to. Very funny and um, a lovely opportunity because the team captain has all the power in that they know everything. You know, they they know everything, Paul. Yeah. Um, but then they <laughs> also can't speak. So it's a fun power dynamic of like, uh, you know, you know everything and you say something and then your your friends don't get it, but they can speak and you can't. So the friends will then just berate you for your like stupidity and, and like, that doesn't make any sense type so thing. So here's a question then. Do you think it would work uh, potentially better or be funnier if you had bigger teams? Uh, maybe. Um, you know, we, we played it with four, you know, two teams of two, just yeah. captain and guesser. And that was, that was really fun and very personal. Um, I think with teams it would be funny uh, you know six five players eight players maybe would also be totally fine um, you know very flexible in that way really it's just just funny it was just funny Paul it, and like it was um, and then yeah like so when I got taught the rules explanation I wasn't feeling that it was a Vlada game uh, until like uh, he the, the demo did my favorite thing which is leave the rule that clicks everything into place until last and just trying to kite people's attention spans along oh, until yeah. then. And then you deliver that bombshell rule and they all go, oh, and then you go, and that's the game. Here we go. Like Alan Partridge. Um, and uh, But yeah, so th then you have this black assassin word, which if they ever point to, that whole team loses. So um, yeah, there's a real element of danger in tension in what could have otherwise been just quite a um, sort of like frustrating game. Yeah. But no, sudden, like everything is vitally important and very exciting and funny and yeah, a great, great party game. 
Wow. Uh, but there, uh, there were a couple of other things you previewed as well. It sounded like a, a very interesting event and a very busy one. It um, was, uh, yeah, it was busy and I did play some stuff, but I don't want to be, I'm going to, I'm going to swivel uh, this, this question, question, questionese chair ooh. into the questioners chair, Paul. Uh-oh. And we'll, uh, we'll get like, like in The Wire now, because like oh, Shut Up no. and Sit Down used to just be one timeline, you know, one sequence of events, much in the way of like Seinfeld. I feel like we've now moved on to the era of Friends, where you're going to have multiple <laughs> concurrent plot lines. All running um, parallel. Yeah, all running parallel. So let's jump over to the North American division, because I heard that you were very impressed by a two-player card game recently. I was. Uh, so yeah, I, I'll quickly say there's a really good write-up of lots of stuff on the site, so just go there and read about Warhammer 40,000 and uh, Pushing Monsters, um, <laughs> which I like too much. But yes, uh, I played a couple of interesting games recently, uh, one of which was for the crown which is a combination of uh chess and dominion and the other which was called i've now completely forgotten uh ronin something seven ronin seven ronin because there's a whole bunch of uh games based around seven samurai for some reason and even just googling this i had a problem um <laughs> that's it that's a good yeah, start for you a look board on board game, game geek and there's just you know the theme is everywhere and there's loads of different games about this um and actually, I'm so excited about Seven Rodin. I kind of want to talk about it first. Let's go first, because For the Crown is uh, is something that's been around for a while. But uh, Seven Rodin sounds like you've got a bit of an exclusive on this. Well, I think it came out, was it last year or the year before at Gen Con? Um, and the copy I played was a friend's copy that sort of came from there. Okay. And I think it's published originally in Poland. Uh, and the, it was it came with Polish instructions, but they'd also provided uh, sort of some one-off English translations for the copies they were selling. I hope they make a proper English language edition of it. Uh, it's an asymmetrical two-player game of kind of hidden movement or hidden deployment. One side plays ninjas who are attacking a village uh, and are Classic. trying to conquer the village, like all ninjas do. <laughs> uh, and the other side is seven samurai who uh, or seven ronin who like all ronin only ever want to defend villages um, <laughs> is there is there a board uh, involved do you have like a little town well let me tell you how many boards there are there are three you have a map of the village uh, that sits in the middle of the table okay but then you have your player screens uh, both for the ninjas and for the ronin and you secretly deploy your ninjas and or ronin, depending on who you are on these, then you reveal. And the thing is, uh, none of the ninjas have special powers, but depending on what locations the ninjas seize, they get to do special things, whereas uh, all the ronin have special powers, but their special powers mostly, I think, trigger if you put them in a space that don't have ninjas in. Hmm. So you have to guess, as the, uh, the ronin play, you have to guess where the ninjas will go, and you want to stop them because if you if they take over a location and you know get the power for it then potentially that can be a pain in the neck so you want to square them off but you want a couple of, keep a couple of your ronin free to trigger their abilities which could be uh like a healing ability or one guy can redeploy so you put everyone out and he could just ride off somewhere else and land somewhere different um and each turn killing a ninja bumps a hit point off one of your ronin and some of them have more than others and it works, it, it's one of those games that has that sort of really good balancing spot, maybe in the middle or maybe roughly near the end where you start 
and the Ronin are doing fine and they're all tough and they're strong and only a few ninjas come out each turn. By the time you're getting to the end of the game, more and more ninjas are coming out and they're appearing in more and more places and your Ronin are just battered. You know, they're all on one or two hit points um, and you're trying to put your healer somewhere where ninjas won't turn up so he can actually do his healing job instead of having to punch people for another turn. And it works really well. It's just fundamentally really simple, but there are I, so many possibilities in it. I'm excited by this. I've been resisting the uh, the temptation to Google it and look at pictures because it, my keyboard is louder than God. Oh, you've left a link in the Slack channel, so I can just click on this and take oh, a cheeky yeah. peek. Uh, so, what? ooh, that board's nice. Look at that. It looks so quite nice. nice, too. It's quite a nice-looking game. And the thing with the, the maps is like you have your, your main village map in the middle, but the uh, the things like the Ronin map, if you're the Ronin player, you have some kind of sketch map of the village. Or if you're the ninja player, your map of the village is just clearly what the ninjas have just drawn in the sand. Because they're <laughs> oh, in looking the corner. At, that's beautiful. And it's the play screens are like blam, sort of bamboo. This is... Uh, and that, that's, that's very nice. Um, you know, I've been thinking recently about a game we played ages back. Did, were you, did you play Fortress America with us? Yeah. Oh, my yeah, goodness. Yeah, that was... I don't know why. Like, that game was not that entertaining to play, but... I've found myself in in the small hours of the night when I can't sleep and the drugs have yet to kick in, uh, thinking about uh, about no, not really about Fortress America um, and how it had that fascinating structure whereby three players play you know Mexico and China and and, and is it Europe? Is it really that ridiculous? Yeah, oh no, Russia, Russia, of course, yeah, it, of course, um, invading America. Um, and a final player plays America against all the other players. And you have this, the insane first half of the game where all, all these forces just swoop in, crushing uh, America. And then it slowly grinds to a halt. And, uh, and it just becomes like, um, like, like treacle. And you just can't finish them off. And yeah. then finally, in the final few turns, America uh, re- retaliates and has all of its laser cannons unearthed from its like secret laboratories. Um, which was just yeah a sort of really entertaining flow for a game to have it's uh i think it's a really cool thing to have it's a kind of a weird i don't know there's some kind of tipping point and i think i remember with again with fortress america although you know one side gains or loses momentum by the time you're getting to the end of the game you're still you know not quite sure who might win yeah yeah i really like that idea of of the the tension and the scale of stuff ramping up as you get to the end yeah, I saw a um, I forget the name of it. Um, uh, so I'll cover it very quickly so I don't annoy people. But I saw a Twilight Imperium, a like um, English designed uh, sort of like four X space game at the Birmingham Expo, and the uh, the gist there was that when the game starts, all the four players in their own races are rebelling against a big empire, and every hex in space is is like an emp- is is flipped over to its you know empire controlled side. Yeah. Um, and everyone can swoop in and beat the crap out of the empire because they're spread so thin in the first stage of this rebellion. But every single turn, uh, the empire spaces that are left on the board um, thicken and harden, and their pockets of resistance get tougher. So they start off with the game as this kind of like treasure, and then they become enemies, and finally they become wolves. So depending wow. on you know like where you chop away and where you um, attack people, uh, you know, it almost makes this sort of non-player race into terrain. Um, uh, but it wasn't it wasn't that pretty and didn't immediately grab me aside from that. So uh, people don't go mad trying to trying to research this game or find out what it was. Um, but yeah, still a very interesting idea. Um, yeah. Also, I guess in you remember eighteen twelve, the invasion of Canada. Yes. All those are the, the other games in that Birth of America series by um, Academy Games. 
yeah, yes. where uh, you can kind of launch massive attacks into into enemy territory, and which then immediately just stop. And uh, and it's it's very funny because if you can just push far enough, you can do terrible things. But often, yeah, you run out of momentum. The idea of momentum, what a fun, what a fun concept actually, for games to explore. Yeah, I think this is kind of amazing. I've just had the weirdest flashback to being about eleven. Um, wait, no, just wait. It's good. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, okay, I had, uh, proceed with I, caution. It's it's fine. It's all fine. When I was uh, a kid and I had a bunch of different Warhammer things, there was an old uh, Warhammer 40k war game called Battle for Armageddon, and it was similar. Hang on, are they fighting for Armageddon? Yeah, like, it's the name. We shouldn't the it be Battle with Armageddon. It's the the planet. I think is called Armageddon, and the idea is that all oh. the space orcs invade it, and it's like an imperial manufactory planet, but it's not very well defended. So the orc player starts off with loads and loads of units, and then the imperial player can put a few units to defend a few factories, and the orc player just goes <laughs> across the map for about like a turn or two. But then all the imperial factories kick into gear, and they just make like the best units in the game and the best stuff. But then you have to get it all out, and you have to deploy it all in a way that you can defend yourself or push the orcs back. Um, and I think... I'm right the orc stuff never stops coming it just it's always coming and the imperial player has like a build track where you build things and you put them on the board and you watch them turn by turn slide along until they're finished so yeah. you, you know what's coming but it's a couple of turns ahead but it had a similar thing of you start off and, and one side is just squashed and your job is not really to hold the other player back it's just to decide what you're going to lose and then push back later and yeah. that was amazing it actually worked really well it's so funny how many like utterly intriguing concepts there are in like uh, you know to play without there but also in real life military history I've been yeah. obsessively devouring an amazing uh, like the best history astonishing history podcast called Hardcore History by um, Dan Carlin I've CAR, heard of that. I should try L-I-N. that, shouldn't I? Oh, you'd love it, man. It's it's just the best thing. But um, but yeah, you know, you can't listen to it and not immediately get ideas for games, depending on like the absurd political or um or, or war like situations he discusses. Um, you know, I was just listening about the you know like Carthage crossing the Alps to invade Rome. Yeah, and uh, the just awful descriptions of like this impossibly large military force being very slowly picked apart by tribes and you know as it crosses this this mountain then finally getting over to the other side and then no then finally their reward for getting to the other side is like no romans would actually fight it uh, ever um and would just run away you know like it's it's so much more interesting than traditional yeah. war games make it of like like we've got this this myopia where we feel like war should just be one side flinging units at another and then oh well i have more and no war is absurd it's 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 logistics and it's momentum and it's it's morale and it's politics and it's 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 potentially much more interesting than uh, than my tank versus your tank you know yeah yeah that's that's all the most interesting stuff it's stories about people and mistakes and weird coincidences and all that kind of thing yeah what was the uh, I just, we're getting madly off topic here but what's the uh, <laughs> the story you uh, was it me or you telling <laughs> one of us told the other this story um but of how the planes that the UK oh. was delivering to Russia in World War Two um, yeah. had to, in order to make the long journey, didn't have, they couldn't have any weapons because then they would be too heavy to make to finish the journey on the fuel they had. Yeah, it was. Uh, this is a, an interview I did years ago for uh, for a newspaper where I interviewed this veteran about um, planes in Russia. Uh, and I'll try and make this as quick as possible. It was a thing that Britain did for a while. <laughs> don't, worry, don't worry, shut up and sit down, fans. Uh, we'll, we, it'll, this story will be worth it in the end. Um, 
Britain shipped lots of stuff around uh, sort of through the Arctic to Russia uh, through the war, you know, supplies. And some of them were really simple, like shoes and telephone wire. But we also sent them a bunch of British planes. But the first batch, they didn't just get planes. They got the pilots who knew how to fly the planes and maintain them and the crews so that we could basically train them and say, right, this is how this stuff works. It's how you repair it. Um, and they had like a rudimentary, they had some kind of aircraft carrier and they put a bunch of these planes in the hold. But these planes weren't supposed to take off from aircraft carriers. So they didn't quite know if they could. Um, and, the, you know, this this crew goes around through the Arctic and it's really cold and they get to Russia. And then the first planes take off from the aircraft carrier and they're, they're like, well, you know, we're not sure if they, if they can, but this is the way to deliver them. We're not delivering them in boxes. We're going to fly the first ones over. So we won't put very much fuel in and we won't put any guns on. Um, and then the, I think it was the squadron leader volunteered to be the first guy to take off. And he took off and he just made it and they're like, it's fine. It'll be okay. We, we actually can take off from the aircraft carrier. So pull them all out of the hold and we'll take them off one by one, fly them to the airfield and land them and be like, hi. Which is it's great. So they all get in their planes and they all take their have their shaky takeoffs and they all fly to this base in Russia. And they go through the air as they do. Uh, and they're flying towards the airfield. And they, they get closer and they go, ah, mm, ah, ah. The, the airfield's under attack right now by the Germans. We, we don't have any guns in our planes. <laughs> but for the Germans, they're just attacking Russia. And the Royal Air Force appear just out of nowhere. <laughs> so it's that sort of stalemate where both sides go, I've got no plan for this. Um, and sensibly as you probably would do the Germans just bolted because you know an entirely new air force had appeared in Russia (laughs) and that's usually a good reason to go home yeah and uh, and then yeah the pilots landed and it was all fine absolutely Uh, and and, uh, yeah allies won the war and now everything's nice I, uh, I, I can't reveal uh, who this is or I'm going to be deliberately cryptic but um, a designer who I would argue I, I would guess that you have heard of um, uh, was telling me about a, a game that they are working on that I cannot I, I have to be so cagey here but basically talking <laughs> about this um, this concept that, that war is so often utterly absurd and very difficult and all about timing and all about logistics and um, mm. essentially without wanting to spoil any of his ideas it kind of replaces the idea of a um a fixed unit on a board you know representing like a thousand men or whatever with something more akin to a clock and um Ooh. there's kind of an optimal time uh for things to attack or to defend and uh and it was it, it sounds very 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 interesting and i have a lot of faith in the designer so i'll be um i'll be excited to to talk about that when i'm allowed to um Okay. I do want to talk about For the Crown, but hey, Paul, this is, okay. don't forget, mm-hmm. we've got a whole other plot line. Uh, I played a really good game at the UK Games Expo. Do you remember that? 20 minutes ago. Should we go back there? Okay, go on. What was it? Uh, it's called Welcome to the Dungeon. Um, and when I do the video review, I'm going to sing that in the appropriate style. <sighs> uh, uh, but that is a shame for two reasons. First off, because I'm singing, but also because it's less good than the original Japanese name, which was Dungeons of Mandom. Mandom. Um, yes, <laughs> not a real word, uh, but definitely a real good game. Because uh, what this is is it's like um, three to six or whatever players are all heroes, kind of stood at the entrance of a dungeon, um, and they're kind of egging each other on to go in. 
Uh, and it's a bit like Skull and Roses, basically, in that um, you only have to go in successfully twice. You only have to win this bluff twice. Um, if you win once, you flip over your, your reference card, and if you win twice, the game's over. Great. Um, okay. However, like Skull and Roses, there is knockout, and uh, in similarly, if you go into the dungeon and get wounded, then then you're halfway to death. If you go out, if you go to the dungeon and die again, uh, you're just dead and out of the game. So you don't necessarily have to go into the dungeon at all to win. You can just wait for all of your friends to just be like braggarts who kill themselves. Um, which is obviously great, uh, but this game is fantastic. I'm I'm so looking forward to doing the review. But how it works is very simply. So Paul, on your turn, if you don't want to pass, um, which is to say, no, I'm out, right? Uh, then you draw a monster card off a deck, um, mm-hmm. and the monsters range from goblins, which is number one. There's a few of those, to all the way up to nine, which is a dragon. Um, and you can you'll look at this monster, and you can either put it in the dungeon, and then there's a monster in the dungeon, and only you know what it is. Or you can put it in front of you, permanently taking it out of circulation, and remove an item of equipment from the hero. And all the heroes have six items of equipment. So, for example, you can either put a put a lich in the dungeon, or put the lich in front of you and say, we'll go in without our shield. And then you take the shield off, and the shield was going to help you fight in the dungeon. So the next, And then, so gradually, it goes from an empty dungeon and full equipment to, like, six monsters in the dungeon. You have no torch, no shield, no armor, no spear. You just have a chalice. So you know you're facing less, but you're facing less with less. Yes, exactly. So either you you made the dungeon harder, either by adding more monsters or taking off equipment, or you pass. Um, And that's the whole game. Uh, And then eventually only one player will be left. Like, there's there's the hilarious thing where the whole table knows the dungeon is on a tipping point. Like, you could probably go in now, but if it gets any harder, you're going to die. But it's bluffing, right? Because all the cards are face down, so no one really knows. Yeah, Um, but 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 I mean, that that makes total sense because you're... you're, you're, you're be pulling out some of the cards and you have an idea of what's happening or an idea of what the odds are yeah um and then but it's so funny because it'll be like your turn and you'll go "Mm, i I could go in like this i don't want to go in with any more awful stuff but i also don't want to pass and then you know you you put in one more monster and immediately the rest of the table goes pass 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 and you're like (laughs) shit (laughs) <laughs> and then you have to go in like you, it, it's a lot like driving up an auction in that same respect you know you can kind of be like you can not pass and just make it tougher and tougher to make your friend die then if he passes you're, you're screwed um, it's absolutely hilarious and then finally the thing that happens is um, you've got like you know that moment in Skull where you're flipping skulls off the top and seeing like is he going to make it is he going to make it um, Welcome to the Dungeon has that same thing because then you take this dungeon which is which it works essentially like blackjack kind of yeah. like you draw, you draw a card off the top and it's a goblin so your hit points go down by one and then you draw a card off at the top and it's a dragon but you've still got the dragon spear so the dragon dies and then it's you know like you're, you're biting your nails and uh, and obviously it can mean that sometimes players will go into a dungeon that should be really easy and die and sometimes players will go into a dungeon that will categorically kill them and through the grace of god come out of the other side fine and all the players are screaming at them and they flip their little player sheet and they only have to do that once more absolutely great and um, the art in the western version is nicer than the Japanese version and I will say the western version also adds four classes so um, y- y- you can mix up the classes, the different classes that are going into dungeons. It's no longer just a warrior. You can have a mage um, who th- adds a bit more game as you're going through the dungeon. Like the, my- the mage can elect to polymorph a creature to a random card off the top of the deck if they don't like it, but they can only do that once, that kind of thing. That sounds uh, really good, actually. Oh, it, it's that great, That sounds kind man. of compelling. It's really, really strong. Uh, best small box game I've played in. Uh, I've played in quite a while. Um, 
I'd love to, yeah, really just skull with a bit more game, you know, and, uh, you know, bluffing, lying, joking, risk reward. Just real good. Just real yeah. good. On the other side of the spectrum, though, for the crown I'm interested in, but it's, you know, it's, so you've played this and it's yes. kind of the opposite. It's not bluffing. It's not joking. It's, it's, it's chess, right? It's chess with a twist. It is chess with a twist, pretty much. It's Dominion meets chess where you, uh, you start off with, uh, a blank board apart from just uh, a king on each side which is your king and um, a few cards in your hand that represent pawns and as you cycle these uh, much like in Dominion each card or most of the cards have a value that allow you to buy other cards that can be other uh, figures that you deploy on the board and some of them are standard chess pieces like uh, rooks and knights and some are a little stranger and they have unusual weird moves um and as you buy these, you put them in your hand and they might become cards that are just good in your hand that let you draw more cards or buy more expensive cards. Or you can actually choose to void them from your hand and deploy them on the board. So you lose so, the, the card in your hand, but you get a thing on the board. So is is the game of chess happening like concurrently on my turn? Do I buy a card, deploy a card, and then move a chess piece? Yeah, pretty much. Um, and there's a few... I think there's a few exceptions where you can occasionally make two moves with certain figures or um, or you can forego a move and do something else. Most of the time though, it kind of works in that fashion and you gradually build up an army of pieces. But I think 99% of the time you only ever move one piece a turn. So you still have the chess-like thing of, you know, you look a couple of moves ahead, you try and work out what someone might do. But there's there's not really any game-breaking stuff where people suddenly make a move and they knock you out because they had some card in their hand. It's pretty well-balanced. Hmm. It's a real kind of brain-burnery thing because you are looking at two engines instead of one. But um, it's kind of cool to customise chess in that way because you, the way we played, you tend to end up with fewer figures and a more open board because you start with nothing. Uh, and then you get to sort of build an army that you like rather than just have your standard chess set up, which is also interesting. I, uh, this this adds you to the list of um, of, rev- of prominent board game reviewers I know who've played... Uh, is it For the Crown? For the Crown. For the Crown. For the Crown. Who've played For the Crown and, and like it, and it sounds great, and they've said, you know what, it's actually pretty great. And I, I feel really bad for Victory Point Games, the, the lovely uh, mum and pop people uh, who use lasers to cut their games pieces if you've never owned a Victory Point game before. And it, it results in this bizarre, like, ashen dust covering everything yeah. in the box. Uh, which, I, which is actually endearing and not at all gross. Um, and, uh, and yet, you know, it's the hardest sell in the world. Like, they've made this game, which, as far as I can tell from all the people I hear about it, you know, it sounds fantastic. But I so would never buy a chess variant, you know? And I feel... Yeah, I mean, it, it totally makes sense to me. And I was playing it and I was enjoying it and I thought this is interesting, but it, it felt like an acquired taste. Mm. Which is does fine. It, I've, I've just looked on the on the site. It's $52. Is that, does, it, does it come with a, a real, like, crown? Is it... What's happening there? Crikey, I don't know. It came with uh, no. It's mostly cardboard, card and cardboards. Although really quite good quality, heavy duty cardboard. Yeah, they do one do of the, the thickest cardstock in the business. Yeah, it sort of works for this because you pick up these like your card king is just a big chunky king piece, and then your pawns are smaller, and then your rooks are sort of quite big. That so you works. couldn't play it. Could you play it with actual chess pieces if you had a chess 
set at home. You you would need a few extra pieces because it has a certain. It just has new units that move in new ways. Like uh, oh, that's a such a shame because I do actually. I was given a really nice chessboard oh, uh, really? and. Yeah, it was a junket thing. It's a Civilization Five chessboard, I think. Oh yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 dumb that I have it, but I do, and it's it's a shame that if I was into chess, you know, like maybe a saving grace is that I can I now have another use for my my cool chess set, and if I can't do that, that's a real bummer. Uh-huh. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't I didn't mean to bring you down there. Uh, so, sad, you, well, you but you had fun with it. It's, I'm looking yeah. at it now. I would like. It's it's a game that I would most like to try that I would probably never buy. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's the th- the thing I liked most is it has uh, it feels like someone has almost artificially tried to marry two different game systems together, but actually it turns out they interact quite well, and it feels yeah. it doesn't feel like some weird Frankenstein idea. It feels like something someone has actually developed, and it works. No, Tom Vassell from the Dice Tower had almost exactly the same tone of kind of like incredulity <laughs> that you have as to the fact that no, really, guys, it's really good yeah. uh, type thing. Did you ever see um, Nightmare Chess, uh, which I think is getting reprinted by uh, by Z Man Z Man? Maybe no. It's 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 the dumbest thing. It's like a massive deck of cards, um, essentially marrying uh, chess with Wiz War. <laughs> <laughs> like the the one uh, that stick the card that st- uh, no really I think it's I I would play this like it's much more okay. of like a less intent to like balance it like players have like a hand of seven cards and every so often can play one of these cards to do something and it's and it's 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 stuff like you know this this knight but now becomes the grim reaper and can move four hundred spaces and do all the, or like uh, the the other one that I was immediately caught my attention is um. Like it's called like Abyss or Grand Rift, and what it does is it opens a rift along the chessboard, and all the pieces like from a straight rift from one edge to another of of your choice, and uh, all the pieces on that um, rift are destroyed, and then like obviously you now have a rift that you can't move pieces between, Jeez. so you know you can seal off a king <laughs> with a rook, so the rook has a straight line to get the king and all this stuff, but then the only thing that's saving you from this total nonsense is the fact that. Um, you also have a hand of, of entirely stupid cards. Yeah, like, it, I found it endearing, you know, like to take this um, almost like punk rock, you know, just to, to take yeah. chess and then make such a mess of it. Uh, I thought it was kind of cool, you know, like, and also just taking a game that parents might know how to play and then giving your kids an opportunity to make it less uh, square, as they probably would have said when Nightmare Chess was first invented. I've got to say, yeah, I guess there is a there is some value in just taking uh, a game that everyone is familiar with or that, that is already sort of a base of familiarity and comfort and then just doing a thing to it. I'm going to I'm going to look up some of these cards now. Uh, do you Oh, it's spelt Oh, yes, of course. Nightmare is spelt with a K. I uh, I did forget about that. But of course, that. just like yeah. the television show which if you have never lived in Britain and seen the television show Nightmare, I would encourage everyone to Google videos of it because it's children getting their friends killed. Why don't you explain to the Americans <laughs> in the audience what Nightmare is while I try and bring up some of these cards? Oh, well, all Nightmare is, is, oh God, I cannot sell it in a good way, um, is a sort of a virtual dungeon where a bunch of kids turn up and they're trying to beat a virtual dungeon. Uh, most of them will sit in a chamber where they watch a TV. One of them will put a helmet on where they can't see anything. Uh, and they'll enter these different dungeon rooms, which are all sort of very low quality graphics projected into like onto green screens or whatever. 
um, and they'll direct the the kid who can't see with a helmet on around, and they'll just say like walk forward, sidestep to the left, pick up the loaf of bread. Um, and some of the, <laughs> it's some always of them, like, loaves of bread lying. It's on the always floor. loaves of bread. It's always things like they have to step. Uh, they have to carefully step around uh, traps or things, or they'll walk into a room, and there will be some actor who is playing really badly playing a goblin or something. <laughs> Um, and they'll, you know, the kid will walk into a new room and he'll say something like, "Where am I? What? What is there?" And the that is the always other... the best. They enter a room and there's like a, a massive spider. Where am I? And then the friends are like, "You're in a labyrinth, and there's a there's a gargoyle. Don't move!" Like <laughs> those are always the best when they're you walk into the room and it goes from like you know being like this fairly placid you know like film sets to just a giant monster and uh, this poor kid with a helmet can't even see it. It's amazing, and and that that and the the guy who hosts it and who tells the kids what to do, the sort of the host called Treyguard, who's this uh, wizardy man with a beard. Treyguard, the most charmingly eighties like fantasy name as well. Yeah, just uh, he looks like a Larry Elmore illustration from Dragonlance or something with his bushy beard and his brown clothes, and he just says things like, "Oh dear, children, oh beware, <laughs> oh dear, you've died." The um, the thing that I remember most fondly, I was rewatching Nightmare on YouTube because um, uh, as a, I can't remember, it, it ultimately led to me and Brendan um, playing Nightmare Demon Souls, where one of us would put on a blindfold oh and the God. other one would guide them through Demon Souls. What are you doing? Why would you do we, that? I don't know. We got further than you would expect, but um, uh, yeah. So there's a there's a Nightmare video on YouTube uh, whereby um, there was one room which had I think a giant spider. And the idea was uh, that the spider was a gargoyle, maybe, but it was very angry. But um, they picked up a clue that it was it was subject. It, it was very vain, and um, so you know the spider would like you know the the gargoyle wouldn't let the kid pass because it was you know it was crying and it was so sad and it was going to kill anything that walked past. And so you know the people in the other room told their kid in the helmet to um, to start complimenting it. And um, this poor like it can't have been a day older than like ten years old. This kid's like, oh, you're very pretty. You're very pretty, which is both funny because the kid's like being startlingly insincere, but also because he can't see the thing because he's got a yeah. bucket on his head. Um, and then, so the the terrible '90s CGI animation then changes the gargoyle into like this ha- temporarily happy thing, but it's visibly like throbbing, like it's only happy for a while. So you have these like these three the three friends of the ten year old kid bellowing for their friend to like run across the room while the kid who hasn't got the message yet uh, but only has received positive reinforcement is talking to this CGI gargoyle going as far as saying you're beautiful I love you <laughs> while, uh, <laughs> while his friends were screaming for him to go so I've got some of the the nightmare cards in front of me and honestly Paul this this game is even the nightmare chess cards I'm talking about yeah. Uh, you ready for some of these? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Heresy. Each bishop that can do so must be moved to an adjacent empty square by its owner, thus changing the colour of the square it moves on. Ooh. Your opponent must move his bishops first. Um, or Doomsayer. Uh, the next player who pronounces the name of a piece, except King, loses one piece of that type. If he doesn't own a piece of that type, this card remains in effect. Like, you see what I mean? This is just kind of, like, charming goofiness added to a game that, like, it doesn't make the game less good, you know? Like, you're still, I mean, arguably it does, but it doesn't make the game any less complicated. It doesn't no. undermine, you know, the thinking and the... It, it kind of makes game makes chess a game less about telescoping and allows you to live in the moment in the board state. I think it's... Uh, Basically, I want to see Gary Kasparov play Nightmare Chess. That's what I'm really saying. 
That that wouldn't be bad at all, actually. <laughs> uh, no. That would be kind of curious. Uh, he, yeah, there's even some basic theming in this. Like, um, uh, oh wow. King of the Mountain, play this card when the four squares in the middle of the chessboard are unoccupied. The first player whose king begins and ends in the same central square for three of his turns in a row wins the game. Turning chess into King of the Hill. What? Like, isn't that nice? Wow. And this is currently in print? Uh, I don't know if you can buy it. I just saw that okay. a reprint was on the way, and I, I do kind of want a copy, don't you? Like, let's see, buy Nightmare Chess. I've done a lot of Googling this podcast episode. That's good. Yep, no- this has been an interesting episode of uh, digressions and Googling and... Yeah, it's totally still... Uh, there are still copies of Nightmare Chess kicking around on Amazon.com and .co.uk, so, you know, ask your local game shop to uh, order a copy. Uh, have a goofy chess drinking game you know why not so speaking of no I can't make the connection it's not goofy (laughs) it's a a thing that I wanted to bring up you did the um, the Monday roundup of the the expo you mentioned stuff that you played and done what you didn't mention which I do happen to know is you also played Netrunner there oh good I thought you were going to talk about something else that I did there good excellent yes i can talk about netrunner <laughs> and you um, did really well and you didn't say I, this you didn't mention this but you did really well i did okay i came you did seven, very well i came seventh out of 152 oh yeah um, that, oh no you're right that's awful that's a terrible position <laughs> i don't know man it's um it's 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 extremely hard to, to have perspective yeah netrunner nationals it was um it was weird uh i it's very strange for me because I've never had any interest in stuff that's competitive. I've never like wanted to do sort of uh, competitions or tournaments, and I always wish wanted to play casually with my friends. But I've gotten so into Netrunner that there's a certain amount of inevitability with Netrunner because the community's so nice. And you're going to meet strangers to play anyway. That when you hear about a tournament in your town, you know you're just kind of, of course you're going to go. Like if you're if you're that into the game, it's um, it doesn't require a, a, a shift in your in your mindset. You know, it, like. When I played Games Workshop as a kid, I, I would never would have entered a tournament. I would have it would have, I I would probably have never grown up to be the same person. Such as the beating I would have received. But Netrunner is is a lot more pleasant. It's lighter. It's it's a funnier game. And um and yeah, going to tournaments is just it just happens. And uh, yeah, the, and oh god, I met so many lovely people even at the top tables at the end when players yeah. were being sent home and being denied like an all expenses played trip to to Worlds uh, Fantasy Flight's Worlds tournament in fabulous uh, Minnesota. In America, um, or is it Iowa? I forget where they're based. No, I think uh, I think you're right. I think it's uh, Minnesota. Yeah, the the main um, uh, my favorite story I've heard of people going to Worlds is um, they went to some grocery store near near Fantasy Flight's gaming center, um, where the it was a it was a grocery store like you know with food and drinks yeah. and stuff, but it was it was all carpeted, um, which isn't strange. It doesn't seem strange until you kind of imagine it and you realize you've never never been to a carpeted like. That is a bit strange. Yeah, um, so that's that's my favourite story of Worlds. I was thinking of going for Shut Up and Sit Down actually, but I don't know. I don't know if we should, we can or should justify it on the budget. That, um, that could be interesting. Um, it could be certainly. I don't know if there was some netrunnering involved because I, I I don't know netrunner very well, but I know it well enough that the community is actually really pretty good and really friendly. Um, and whenever I've played a you know a bit of netrunner with friends, I've always enjoyed it. And everyone's always been sort of really supportive and helpful. And it, it sounds like from what you're saying, again, it was a thing of you met a bunch of players and they were all just really friendly and everyone is enjoying playing Netrunner. 
Yeah, there was um, one thing. Absolutely yes, but also one thing that did happen on the day is um, someone made a error. They basically took a slightly longer turn than they should have. You're allowed um, uh, four actions when you're the hacker in Netrunner, yes. and uh, he four accidentally clicks. took four clicks. Very, yeah. very good. I know. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and he took five basically and drew a card by accident, and his opponent called the judge over. And the judge disqualified him from the tournament on the spot, which is, um, I, th- I believe, legally what you are meant to do. But it's such a nice day. And, like, a lot of the time, these kind of disputes are just settled by, like, my opponent and I at the table. It's just like, oh, you did this. Well, here's something, here's something that seems fair. You know, we just play it out. Yeah. Um, that hearing someone got disqualified from nationals, you know, like, very early in the day was akin to receiving news that, like, you know, someone had died at the party yeah. you were at last night. It's 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 like really what you know it it just it stuns you, especially because any one of the people at that at uh, that tournament could have made that mistake so easily. Yeah, very um, easily. But but yeah, it was um uh I it was such a strange day doing so well. There are some videos. Um, I'm I'm basically I'm seeing if I can write an article on on nationals now, which is why I'm being a bit cagey about it. Um, and but there are some. If I do do that, that'll be great because I can link to the videos that were recorded of me playing and kind of embed them in the article, and that'll be fun. That um, could be really interesting. We had, uh, as you know, we had regionals here where I am near the North American office, uh, and some of those were Twitch TV streamed online. Yeah, and the stream it, was quite popular. It's fun, isn't it? It's um, Netrun is just a really good spectator sport as well because yeah. it's it's so tense and down to the wire and. Um, I, uh, I I think I must have mentioned this on a podcast before, but when Worlds was being streamed from um, Fantasy Flight's headquarters last year, um, my uh, my American girlfriend uh, and I basically had a sort of th- Super Bowl themed thing where she made um, uh, chicken wings and uh, we sat in front of the sofa for like nine hours, um, <laughs> which was amazing. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. It w- I don't know what to tell you, man. It was. Um, it was, it was just very strange. It was, and it was long as well, wasn't it? Because it was a thing that you did for quite a lot of one of the days. I mean, someone yes. makes a, a mistake about the number of clicks because probably they're stressed and exhausted, and they've been playing countless yeah. games of Netrunner. It's an unusual thing, uh, I think. I guess you know, like um, it's funny. People think about you know board game like competitive scenes, like tournaments and stuff, and. Yeah. Um, and you kind of imagine like I don't know, like Casino Royale, like if you're me, you know, like like sort of, of, of the very best players at what they do sat around a table being the best, and it's not true at all because the structure of every board game like tournament I know, like if it's on a large scale, involves people playing and playing and playing and playing. You know, you have to be the best, but everyone's the best, right? So it's a case of endurance as well. Yeah, and uh, and it's hilarious. Like your brain just turns to jelly. Um, and it's funny because the most common Netrunner streams are um, really good players uh, playing at the end of the day when they've finally been paired up against each other. Um, which is funny because that's when they make mistakes. So like every single Netrunner video, like if you're not, if you don't go to many tournaments, you'll just be baffled as to why the best players in the world are just playing. <laughs> like just, they don't, they're not even playing by the rules of Netrunner anymore. They're just like, they're speed playing their way through to something that may or may not resemble the game you play at home making all kinds of mistakes it's um it's really really odd uh it makes total sense to me though because a lot of people who are professional at a sport or a game or something you you just have to play it all the time and that's going to happen to everybody well right you used to play um poker online a little bit to make yourself a little little extra money on the side right i did and it just it uh i mean i i might talk a a bit more about this soon in a in a upcoming feature maybe oh i'm so excited um, for this uh but yeah it's it 
particularly because I didn't play very high limits. You just play a lot for not that much money and it takes a long time. And if you're any kind of sensible poker player, you fold a lot. You just fold hands that are not going anywhere because that's the, the most economical, most practical thing. So you spend a lot of time watching and waiting and it's time. It just takes time. And I, d I can't even properly describe like what the mental state is like, but it's things you can have a long period of things being very mundane and suddenly something happens and you have to be running at 100% because this is yeah. the moment it's um it's it's so funny that you you have to for it, it's going to sound silly to some people that I'm comparing you know chess to like I would say that poker and netrunner have this in common um but uh, but they just categorically do as someone who's played both um in that you you have to for the sake of your own brain play enough that you can just fall into a pattern like you just know what to do in a given yeah. situation yeah um but then like like you say you have to be able to snap out of that if something goes wrong you know you if you have to fall into a pattern and you have to be able to pull yourself out of that and i'm not talking over minutes i'm talking over hours like you have to be able to play on autopilot and then you know pop oh something's gone wrong let's jump on the manual controls for a second otherwise you just die your, your brain just turns to spaghetti and <laughs> you 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 make very silly plays. I almost um, I I yeah, does poker have the term tilting, or is that just a collectible card game? Oh thing? yeah, no, it does. It may even come from uh, poker. Possibly, it's that moment where sort of your your emotions or your anger or frustration take over. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I had this with um with an entirely lovely player um whose name I can't actually remember, but um. So there's a there's a card game uh, thing um, whereby you will uh, you'll you'll cut your player's deck right like like um, after finishing shuffling your deck you offer it to your opponent who can cut it um, instead of putting the bottom on the top or the top on the bottom you know theoretically it's against cheating but it's also just part of the culture um, and you you know you don't have to do it you tap on the deck and that's that's part of the culture too um, but I was paired up with someone who just had a habit he like I say nicest guy in the world and actually an extremely good netrunner player probably better than me for my money. Um, but uh, he would uh, he would shuffle my deck after like every he would not just cut it every time he'd pick it up and shuffle it and I had this funny emotional response because I have a lot of superstitions around my deck of like no that mm, that's mm, that's my deck stop touching it wow uh, really which is which yeah like it's entirely irrational like not at all the guy's fault <laughs> um, but I wasn't emotionally prepared for that and wow. and I had to, I like I had these superstitions you know like if I it's fine <laughs> this is going to sound ridiculous. But um, yeah, like if I'm if I draw a, uh, a bad hand, I won't shuffle my deck much because in my head, if I'm shuffling it more, I'm taking agency away from the deck, which is this magical luminary object in my head. And so, if if I wanted to give me a good hand, I shouldn't shuffle it that much because then I'll be messing up what <laughs> its mojo and what it's trying to do. Okay. Like this, this I, honestly, I I can't explain it. It's just it's just absurd. But yeah, so in him shuffling it, I would, I was, I was tired, and I was, I was, my blood sugar was very low. So I just got very um, annoyed with him, and then it started taking over increasing amounts of my brain. Like um, at first, it's this tiny corner of the brain, and then it spreads until it was all I could think about briefly, um, and I had to get a get a handle on that. But I tell you what, I lost that game. Um, very, uh, very. It, it was early on in the day, so it didn't it didn't matter. Um, but uh, but yeah, very f funny stuff, man. Uh, and I'm really interested to to see what you have to write about poker. It was so good having Brendan writing about chess on the site a while back. Yeah, yeah, writing and also uh, speaking about it as well.
Yeah, are you gonna do a? Uh, you should do a spoken version of the uh, of the poker piece. I think I loved your hero quest. Um, oh, thank uh, you. Um, we will see what happens. I am. This is a thing that I will start doing very soon. I have no idea whether I can like uh, bring a camera with me or whether I'm allowed to make notes. So it might be a thing of where it happens and then I run off and I write stuff. It may even be a thing where I spend a day or two doing it, depending on whether I think. I'm being so cagey here, aren't I? It basically <laughs> we will see. Okay. Oh, I thought you were gonna like. I'm being so cagey here, so I'll explain. But no, you're being so cagey. So <laughs> you'll stop entirely. Um, I, I, I only like to really kind of talk about stuff after I've done it because I, I hate the idea of being one of those people who says they're going to do something cool and then doesn't do it. I've okay, known too yeah. many people like that. That really? Okay. Wow. Oh, that's, yeah. that's ominous. We all, uh, we that's... all have. We've all known people like that. That's certainly true. The one thing I will say uh, in closing about nationals is um, there was an excellent point where um, I was approaching the top tables at the end of the day, and uh, God, I hate that I was on video for this because the only clothes I had were this stupid inspector gadget coat um, <laughs> that That's I had to wear. Coat. It is fine, but I was at the table wearing it constantly because I was cold, which gave me an air of like a private dick, um, <laughs> which I didn't appreciate. Uh, but no, the thing I did want to say is I'm walking back to the tables towards the end of the day when there's only like eight of us left and uh, just prior to me being knocked out basically and um, uh, I was walking through and I heard the crowd two people talking and um, the only two words I was able to hear is like one person going to his friend Quins and his friend responding with Quins and uh, that that gave me the emotional boost I needed to... um, I don't know, fail, I guess. I, but, I love uh, that. I think that's great. Yeah, it's uh it was it made me smile at the time. Cuz you don't you don't want to get a you don't want to get a big head. There's so much so much luck in uh, in card games and um you know, that's why it, if you go to enough tournaments, you will have one of those nice tournaments where you get lucky and like I did and get to play with uh, the big boys. And uh yeah, I would be curious to go to Worlds because I would like to be able to write an article that puts my finger on something I find um, interesting about Fantasy Flights like all of their, 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 their competitive games like the X-Wing Miniatures game or Armada or uh, the Star Wars RCG or Netrunner whereby yeah. these games are, are really fun and they're designed to be fun and they're you know like they're, they're almost like toys you know um, and they're so clever and so funny and there's, there's so much beautiful theme there and then at the very at the highest levels, the competitive scene is ultimately doing their very best to break these games. You know, yeah. Like um, within within the traditional competitive fields of like uh, esports or um, or chess or, or just regular sports. You know, these are games that are so established and so straightforward that um, that you can't break them. Really, um, uh, the rules are inflexible to that extent. The conventions um, are so kind of set. I guess. Yes, ex- sure. Um, yeah. Whereas suddenly with an LCG, you've got like, I don't know, Netrunner has like 800 cards now. And players around the world constantly are trying to work out the most game breaking combinations. Um, almost to the, like, like to, you know, if there's a deck that isn't fun to play, but it's straightforward, you know, people will bring them to the competitive scene. And there's something, like, I don't know, slightly funereal about that. It's something I find slightly sad. And. I would love to be able to... If I'll go to Worlds if I can figure out how to write an article about that. Um, I, I think that could Without making it depressing. I, it could be really interesting. I, 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 I'm curious as to, you know, how stuff like that is working now for X-Wing and things like that, where, you know, there might just be certain pilot ship combinations that people just always go for because it is arguably the best or, like, yeah. uh, the, the most economical. 
So I had a, an interesting, um, uh, like an hour-long interview with um, Fantasy Flight CEO Christian Peterson over the weekend, which I'll probably yes. be um, doing something with or uploading into our podcast section. Um, who Entirely lovely man, and he said something I loved um, that I found really interesting, which is the board game divide for us, you know, and to most of the board game scene traditionally is divided into thematic and non-thematic games. Yeah. Um, and he said that Fantasy Flight got its start and kind of distinguished itself um, by, uh, along with some other publishers, um, at that time taking what what were thematic games which were like simulations right um if you think about thematic games in the 90s and 80s and 70s these were simulations of uh, like often at least within designer board game sphere you know they came out of war games it's like yeah how to best simulate tank battles how to best simulate you know being a u.s marine like being a general and fantasy flight started making things like you know the game of thrones board game or in one year they came out with like descent and the game of thrones game and twilight imperium third edition second edition third edition um, and the thing that they, all these games have in common is not that they're trying to simulate anything, but they're trying to tell a story. And that's what we said in our Twilight Imperium review, right? Yeah. It's a space opera. It's not a simulation of being a leader. It's the weirdest game in the world, but it is a space opera happening on your table. And it's the same thing as Descent. Descent, if you did, like, what's Descent simulating? Like, fantasy SWAT teams and sweating. And, <laughs> like, I don't even know. Um, but it's a story. It's kicking down doors and then being shot in the eye by a goblin from 200 yards away. It's <laughs> like. And so. What you've got with Fantasy Flight, I guess this is this comes out of what I'm trying to put it, is Christian Peterson says they're this company that sells stories, right? Stories happening on your table. And they're also catering to this competitive scene, which is not at all about stories. Yeah. You know, which, which cares about stories, but it's like third down the list, whereas first is you're just winning. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. I find that interesting. Well, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting split. But yeah, certainly if you look at something like... I, Netrunner is not particularly narrative at all um, and even X-Wing or Armada is, uh, they're both games that are really I don't know that those are almost returning to miniatures wargaming really yeah yeah I suppose they are I suppose they are I suppose there is a difference between um, between the, the games that Fantasy Flight were making in the mid noughties and um, and the, the sort of streak of more competitive like hobby uh, taking over your life type games but I mean, they're doing okay on every front right now. They're having a pretty good time with that, with XCOM, with um, some of their other, you know, enormous big box stuff that has been a hit for a long time, like TI, like the latest Descent. Oh man, you know something else I will say as a sneak peek is, um, you Ooh. of course know that Fantasy Flight got bought by um, Asmodee recently. Yes. Um, very, very big uh, French board game publisher, backed up by the proper grown-up investors, you know, who have money and whatnot. Um I didn't know what this meant for Christian, and Christian said that the big thing that this meant for Fantasy Flight, because now they're backed up by a company that you know just wants you know to invest in them and make money, and they don't have to worry about um, you know taking risky gambles on games that don't pay off, you know, uh, or the small games that don't pay off. Um, Christian told me that the consequence for the merger is that Fantasy Flight will be making bigger projects, like more ambitious projects than ever before. Wow! You know, like, and that just whoa! That I because oh my god, Fantasy Flight are already making the most like yeah. ambitious board games out there. The idea that they're making you know like strides towards being even more all-encompassing, life-devouring hobby games is uh, is a is a hell of a thing. Wow. Okay. I yeah. wonder how big that will be. Me too. <laughs> Isn't it funny that, you know, we're like, we every time we get close to being a sort of like professional board game journalists, we immediately veer away with like, what does this mean? I don't know. This is quite fun. <laughs> well. Well. 
we've we we well actually this is fitting i've got to run off and uh, and go to my my regular netrunner night i've got to put some socks on because i haven't done that yet and i'm actually a bit cold because it started raining no is it it is it rain in north america that's good uh it does occasionally on schedule okay right like okay that that makes a lot of sense what else what have you got lined up for today uh i'm gonna I, I guess i can say i'm going to a casino to play poker you're actually going to go and gramble in the casio that's uh, uh... yeah for for about five or six hours and then i'm gonna play i think merchants and marauders with some friends my god Is, with the expansion oh i don't know maybe i hope so Shit, son! I will try out the expansion for us. The people have to know uh, if they how if they have it, it then I will play it. And if they don't have it, I'll weep into my treasure chest. <laughs> okay, open it up and weep into it. Okay, shut up and sit down, uh, listeners. We've been Paul Dean and Quinton Smith and Gold Club members. If you'd like to know where your donation money is going, then uh, know that Paul is gambling in a casino right now with your money. Not Paul, very much. Not very <laughs> like literally like twenty dollars or so. I don't. I don't even. I don't even want to know how much you've deigned as, as, as shut up and sit down's actual accountant. I don't want to know how much you've deigned is uh, safe to gamble with. Yeah, this is it. It is. It falls under my financial purview, so no one else needs to know. <laughs> it won't be much. Okay. All right. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye.